All right. Um, so yeah, welcome. Uh, you're the first or the second. You're the first person who's not my girlfriend to record with me. So <laughs> I'm my still honor. figuring, still figuring some stuff out. Welcome to Ten Out of Ten, the show where we talk about things that are ten out of ten things. Um, one quick thing. I don't know. How do you want me to introduce you? I only really know you as the shadow. So, <laughs> um, Chad Icorn and I graduated last year from OSU. Okay. Mechanical engineering. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds good. Well, I mean, you just introduced yourself. So I think, I think that works. That's me. Um, <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and we're just going to get into it. Uh, your topic that you proposed was very interesting to me in that I am perplexed by you being interested in it. Not to say that's a bad thing, but it's just so interesting. <laughs> like it was it's I was when I initially had this idea for a podcast, I was thinking people would pick like movies or maybe like an album that they really love. And just people have interesting things that they love. So um, I'm definitely excited to talk to you about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so control theory, um, it it comes up a lot for mechanical engineering and electrical engineering students. Mm -hmm. um, but you can you can sort of avoid it to a degree, depending on which classes you take. But mm -hmm. I sort of fell in love with it, and I tried to take as many classes about it as I could. Um, and uh, the the thing about control theory that's so interesting is how strongly it relates existing systems, right? When we say systems, we're referring to just stuff in the world. Mm -hmm. um, how strongly it relates existing systems back to um, matrix math and specifically uh, linear algebra. Linear um, algebra. I uh, hated linear algebra. Um well, the fact that you've taken it will make this conversation a lot easier. <laughs> well, I've taken it. I all I all I, I remember eigenvector as a word. Uh -huh, uh, that's, a word. That, that's about. I remember there's something about like scalar. I because I was recently. I um well, just some background about me. I majored in computer science in college, so I have some, like you know, not engineering specifically, but adjacent to engineering knowledge and i've uh just went down a weird rabbit hole where i was looking into quantum computing which is like a wild thing and i basically couldn't i got to the part where you needed to understand linear algebra and just that was it for me <laughs> <laughs> there's um, but, there's a a youtube series by um his name's grant the youtube channel is called three blue one brown okay um where he does like really really well done animations explaining math related concepts Sweet. and i think the one he's best known for is his series of videos explaining linear algebra mm. uh as like a visual representation of what's going on rather than just all numbers and words and theory yeah and that's it could be really very helpful. very helpful um and i think the like playlist he's made of all those videos has like eight million views or something so clearly there are a lot of <laughs> students yeah uh, searching for his material no um, doubt and that that's at least a part of 
why I enjoy this so much is through Grant's, you know, help with sort of visualizing all the material. Yeah, that can be a really valuable thing when you're a student to find someone who is passionate about it, excited about it, like can actually break things down. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to, before we get too deep into control theory itself, I definitely wanted to um, ask you about kind of your history with engineering and math and all that stuff and kind of how you first got interested in it, what made you decide to study that in college. Um, so anything you want to talk about, about kind of your oh, history and background. I, w I was sort of doomed to be an engineer from the beginning, I think. Mm -hmm. um, my older brother is a decade older than me. Mm. Um, and he went into mechanical engineering. And of course, I always looked up to him. Yeah. So that by itself, huge incentive. But then I also spent, you know, much of my like young single digit years playing with Legos a lot. Gotcha. And that sort of evolved into in middle and high school being on a lot of like robotics team competitions. Cool. You, like, design a robot, take it to compete against other schools robots. Yeah. Um, and I did mean, you ever, did you ever win just like huge prizes from doing that? Nothing huge. Uh, <laughs> our biggest claim to fame was my sophomore year of high school. Uh, our high school came second in the state of Ohio. Oh, um, that's awesome. Which was pretty cool, which was not qualifying for nationals, unfortunately, <laughs> just barely. But, Darn. Um, that was, that was pretty fun. That's exciting. Yeah. Ro I, um, I haven't, I didn't really do any robotic stuff, but I know some kids cause I, um, teach computer science. So I know some kids who do robotic stuff and it, it blows me away. What, what like literal children are able to accomplish. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, ah. so you had the Legos, you had the, um, <laughs> robotics clearly, you know, you were, you were having fun with it at that point, but oh, what made absolutely. you, what, what made you want it to like, take that to the next level and like turn it into a career or a, you know, long-term study oh that that transition from childhood teenage interest into actual career choice was never really a choice that i thought about it was hmm. very much just a well that's what you do because you know at some point you sort of buy into the assumption that like the reason you're doing all of these extracurriculars is like for college and for your degree and for all this and you just sort of like go along with it and you're like yeah okay sure that is the reason i'm doing this and yeah. it becomes true at some point <laughs> yeah it definitely had a similar thing for me like i was in i didn't i was i didn't do so much extracurricular stuff with coding computer science stuff but i was like i can this is a this is the only career path i really know at this point like i could major that in too. like yeah i could major in music <laughs> or like writing but I'm not going to become a novelist. I'm not, it's probably not going to happen. So let me just do something I know I can get a job in. So was that mm -hmm. a motivation for you too? I definitely have a hard time imagining myself being very employable, doing something that's not engineering. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it would be neat to become like a professional chef or something, <laughs> but like that's so far removed from my actual experiences. That mm -hmm. I don't know that it's achievable. Yeah, that's a, that's a very key word, achievable, like, you know, whatever you're, but it sounds like you're actually passionate about something that can be a, a, a very achievable career. So that's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, the, the <laughs> industries that hire 
engineers who would specifically be working with control theory as like a major part of their jobs mm-hmm. are basically just aerospace. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> and because for the most part, there's one style of controller called a PID controller mm-hmm. that's very robust and very easy to set up. Um, mm-hmm. There's some tuning that might require an actual like skilled engineer who knows what they're doing to like tune it. But for the most part, you can just sort of throw a P or a PI or a PID controller into a system that needs controlling and it will do a good enough job, right? For like all manufacturing work. Um, I would imagine, uh, like your car's cruise control is for the most part a PID controller, which I imagine we'll be talking about cruise control. Yeah, absolutely. Later I definitely want to get into that. You um, seem, you seemed really excited about that. So I definitely want to talk in depth about that. Yeah, PID controllers do a good enough job and are easy enough to set up that for most controllable things, that'll get you through. Mm-hmm. And the only thing, the only like industry where you need more complex, nuanced, faster, more responsive, whatever controllers would be aerospace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not an aerospace engineer, nor do I have a lot of interest in the companies that hire stuff like that? For, for example, Raytheon, yeah. right, a major yeah. <laughs> missile manufacturer, among mm-hmm. other uh, militarized items, has been sending me emails like every other month this year, just like trying to get the, like recruiting, <laughs> sending recruiter emails. Mm-hmm. And I, I do not have any interest in working <laughs> for Raytheon to make yeah. missiles better. Yeah. So I, I don't really use control theory in my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's the employability of people who actually use control theory. Cool. Yeah, that's really interesting um, from that perspective. I know like that kind of mirrors my experience with computer science where I learned so much that I did not need to know, like learning about tur- <laughs> Turing machines and like literally mm-hmm. like learning about how to write, like create a programming language. I'm not going to create a programming language as a software developer. Like that's not going to happen. <laughs> it was it's really, not useful. Yeah. It's not useful, but really cool to learn. And it's useful for the, like somebody has to do that at some point, sure. but, um, but yeah, definitely a different, uh, more of a theoretical thing, a theoretical interest. But um, you mentioned, you know, taking multiple classes about control theory. So I'm very curious to know what like, kind of what your experience was in college, um, were the classes always super fun? Were they really challenging? Um, what was it like to take those like engineering classes? Oh, it is always professor dependent, of course. Mm, um, yeah. The the one class that I think was the most directly related to control theory stuff, the, the class was called um, design and control of dynamic systems or something like that um nice something close to that Mm -hmm. and that class was incredibly difficult the the thing that made it stand out besides the material itself was that there were no tests or quizzes or finals Mm. um all of your grade 100 percent of it was seven pieces of homework oh my goodness seven huge (laughs) homeworks um you got like you know three weeks four weeks each Mm -hmm. and they were so hard yeah um but the nice thing about having all of your grade to be homeworks is that assuming you have enough free time to really commit to doing them really well you can 
to a degree guarantee you get like a 90 percent yeah um so it has its ups and downs but gosh did it take a lot of time <laughs> yeah um other, other classes i took um one was an electrical engineering class that like i cool. took as kind of a technical elective from mm-hmm. a major and that, that's funny I, I did the same thing like going in the kind of opposite direction toward engineering i took electrical engineering you're kind of coming the other way around. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that class was a uh, discrete time uh, state-based what? systems theory. Um, and that was my first time ever working in discrete time because um, so- as a mechanical engineer, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. No- mm-hmm. Nothing mechanical <laughs> acts in discrete time. Um, but of so- course, in the electrical just- engineering world, lots of things are. Can you tell me what discrete time is? So analog time would be that we continuously flow from one second to the next, and we sort of model all of our systems as just flowing continuously through time. Mm-hmm. Whereas discrete time um, suggests that we have a system which exists at one moment, and then after some amount of time later, just become just goes to its next state. Maybe every millisecond, it updates mm-hmm. to a new state. Gotcha. And there is no... So if you were to zoom in close enough, right, everything would appear to be like a staircase. There would mm. be no smooth lines. I see. Yes. I I know the word discrete because I took like discrete structures. I just never experienced the analog time side of things. So that, that dichotomy was, is interesting. It was a very odd lens to think about this material that I was otherwise fairly familiar with going into the class through. Um, mm-hmm. And... There were a whole bunch of like weird Z transforms and stuff that ended up having it not be that different from the math I was already familiar with, but it was just an oddity, I guess. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Do you have like a favorite project that you worked on in any of those classes? Um, I mean, that that homework stuff sounds tough. Did you ever like build anything really cool or anything like that? The final for the discrete time state space class was uh, designing a unscented Kalman filter. Uh, I don't know if you know what a Kalman filter is. I do not. It's K-A-L-M-A-N. I think it's named after someone. Um, And a Kalman filter sort of uses what you can observe from a system Mm -hmm. to determine the actual state of that system which sounds really straightforward it sounds like you've got a sensor you measure a thing that's the thing that was measured yep but in the real world sensors have noise on them right there's Mm. there's variance uh and the actual system isn't constantly jittering around the same way your noise is right yeah so what the common filter is it's it's an elaborate piece of matrix math i guess that (laughs) just sort of runs and it assuming you've got like a linear time invariant system and that you know how much noise is going to be on your sensors and blah 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 Mm -hmm. uh, you can use the common filter as well as like essentially it's it's doing real-time statistics on how much noise it's expecting from each input it's reading Mm -hmm. to sort of backtrack a more statistically likely state of the system being measured cool so it's kind of estimating yeah it sounds weird (laughs) And very theory based. Um, yeah. But it turns out they actually use these a lot. Common filters are all over the place. Cool. So was that like a physical thing that you 
built or was it like the... it was a program running in matlab there was MATLAB. nothing physical about it um, nice. nice that was that was a weird final project yeah that's cool that you make me think of my um in my it was called like embedded design enabling robotics was my like electrical engineering t type of class and it was actually like really cool it was definitely outside um of what i was good at but my final project was to um like we we had this little robot arm that we could control that was super cool like so we would um initially started just like writing code to control it but then we would like actually build the circuits in um what was it called some circuit building software <laughs> I, I think it's the, i think it's 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 close to matlab it's like the something with i forget simulink i don't know oh yeah simulink yes 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 it's i remembered that um so we uh me and my partner built this uh little program that would like you could tap in a tempo and it would like conduct uh fake conduct music based on your tempo and time signature i was really proud of that so wow I, that's interesting yeah it was it was really fun because it was um like measuring the time that it took between the button presses was really interesting to do and then getting it to like control the arm. It was cool. So I just wanted to shout that out because I'm very proud of that. So I needed to get that. Simulink <laughs> is definitely the coolest part of my lab. Mm -hmm. Will not yeah, it understate was... my passion for Simulink. It's a cool piece <laughs> of software. It's, yeah, it's very fun. It's very fun to play around with. Um, so yeah, one other thing I wanted to ask about kind of your college experience is and based on my personal experience, I know like I kind of struggled a lot in college. I just, everyone seemed super smart and I never felt like I was super smart. I just was basically stressed out all the time. Um, did you have any, any experience like that or were you kind of always like good, you know, hard work obviously, but um, did you experience any of that kind of like self-confidence issues or anything like that? I didn't struggle a lot with confidence i i had two significant struggles in college the first one was freshman year where i was perhaps too confident and i didn't do a lot of homework mm -hmm. uh, and it turns out that's bad for your grades and then i spent the rest of college trying to get my grades back up um, nice nice i was the then... exact opposite where i like worked way too hard and was still stressed out all the time so you know both ways are tough <laughs> imperfect yes um yeah. and then junior year uh was all of the like really really hard classes and yeah. i just worked so hard all mm -hmm. the time i it was, there was a lot of burnout happening junior year it was yeah really difficult <laughs> so yeah what kind of helped you get through that difficult time from the university uh very little but uh <laughs> engineering students um are all you know in the same boat and, yeah. and really interestingly because i was in like the off semester for like when it's so like fall or spring when classes are normally taken they have like larger um when you have more students taking it you might offer like the class multiple times yeah since i was taking it in the off semester due to some weird stuff that happened like freshman year um our classes there was only one of each of these classes offered during the semesters that i was mm -hmm. in them so we all knew each other right we were all in all of the same classes together all the mechanical engineers who like graduated the same semester i did mm -hmm. we all 
walked from all the classes together because they were only offered one time. Mm-hmm. So we were all had very similar schedules. Yeah. And so that was nice in a lot of ways because not only were there familiar faces that for having conversations with when you had to have like in class conversations, but you formed sort of like study groups more naturally and yeah. all the study groups like knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and my study group consisted of two friends, Phil and Geneva, and good Lord, did we have unhealthy sleep schedules together. <laughs> <laughs> that's Yeah, that support system can go a long way for sure. Because that's actually something that I kind of lacked. Like, um, I didn't really have the best social life in college, partially because I was so stressed out. But then I got, like, I think more stressed out because of the social life thing. So it was a vicious cycle for sure. But um, yeah, that, that social social support can definitely go a long way. Absolutely. College is so hard. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was definitely hard for me. <laughs> it was not like, um, what's that college movie that I'm thinking of? Van Wilder. Is that a college movie? Oh, I don't know movies very well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, there's some college movie that I'm thinking of that was not reflective of my experience in college. <laughs> that's that's all you need I feel to like know. That's most college movies. And it's like, yeah. oh yeah, and I'll see you this weekend. It's like, no, I have I have homework all weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I can't meet you. My my if they made a movie about my experience in college, it would just be me studying, crying, and then ultimately getting through it and being glad that I persevered. <laughs> there you go. All right. So I definitely do want to get into you. You said you could maybe talk about control theory for an hour. I might not test you on that for the whole hour, <laughs> but I want to see how long we can talk about this topic. Um, so we can we can dive into it. Um, talking about control theory, we'll do that right after a quick break. And we're back. Um, so, Chad, I just really want to hear, first of all, why do you want to talk about control theory? You touched on it a bit, but like, what is so exciting to you about control theory? I, for me, the, the fascinating part has always been how clearly it relates, you know, the real world of stuff that you interact with back to very things that I had always thought about as being very like theoretical in math. Mm-hmm. Specifically, you had mentioned eigenvectors <laughs> and eigenvalues. I was like, these cannot possibly matter to anyone. Why why are we learning about this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um when I w- was taking uh systems one, the my like intro to systems theory, which is sort of like you have to learn systems as a precursor to learning controls. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was shocking to me that after you model a system as a matrix of numbers, that the eigenvalue and the eigenvector of that matrix have like meanings. They they are <laughs> properties of that system uh, that you just turned into numbers. That was amazing to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's yeah. That I had. I mean, when I learned about, I mean, this is really basic, but when I was learning about binary in, you know, that's like everything that you see, if you see on a video game or a picture, it's all like ultimately comes down to binary. Um, and just realizing that like everything I saw on my screen is just ones and zeros in a very particular combination. It's kind of a similar thing, like to see how the real world relates to these very seemingly abstract concepts. It's super cool. Yeah. Abstract is the right word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yet tangible in some weird ways. Mm -hmm. So, <sighs> I mean, so I don't even know where to start because I, I, I went to the Wikipedia page. I was taking <laughs> a look through it a little bit. I was like, I don't know half these words, but my, my old friend Chad is going to be able to <laughs> help me through. Um, so, like, can you give me just... I mean, I think I get kind of the most basic understanding of it, but can you try to dumb it down as much as you possibly can? So before you start talking about controllers, you have to understand what we mean when we talk about a system. Mm -hmm. And um, at the most basic level, a system is something which has inputs and outputs. Um, <laughs> yes. And cool. the analogy Wait. I always use Sorry, go yes, ahead. Yes, perfect. I was just going to ask if you had any analogies you always use. <laughs> yeah, the analogy <laughs> I always use is the cruise control for a car, because this is very relatable for most people. Yeah. Um, so when your controller is off, the controller being the, when you have cruise control turned on, then mm -hmm. your input to the system would be your foot on the pedal, right? How far cool. do you depress the pedal? Mm -hmm. And just how much your foot is depressed, that's the input of the system. And the outputs of the system are the motion of the car, right? Yeah. And and the car is the system. Um, okay. So you put your foot down, you go faster, you let it up a little bit, you go slower. It's like a input-output thing. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm with you so far. So in... A lot of applications, it is desirable to make a system just have some output, right? To not like be varying it a lot. It, you just want some general behavior out of your thing. So mm -hmm. in chemical engineering, right, you might be mixing a vat of stuff that will eventually become like a pharmaceutical thing that will be delivered yeah. to people. And so mm -hmm. you want it to like mix and react and heat evenly, right? And so that's the desired output. Or for your car, you have your desired output is I want to keep going 65 miles an hour. You know, we don't need to yeah. change it a lot. We just stick to the speed or mm -hmm. whatever, right? Manufacturing line, you want to manufacture your stuff. There are a lot of examples of systems where you just want one output. Yeah. And controllers are great at that. They are great at making a system just do a thing mm -hmm. um making a system respond to stuff intelligently is vastly more complicated that's well beyond control theory control okay. theory is just like we have some desired thing in mind and we want to make the system do that thing mm -hmm. <sighs> so yeah so basically like <laughs> you want you don't want to have to think about how far you want your foot to go down. You just want it to stay. You want that needle to stay on 65. Exactly. Regard, like you don't want to need any input. Exactly. A piece of software will be much better at keeping the speed of your car constant than you could ever hope to accomplish. 
Yeah. Um, which is why, you know, they're so perfect at it, right? You, if you've ever used cruise control on a hill, it like knows exactly how much to accelerate right as you get to the start of the hill to like mm-hmm. keep your speed constant. You, it's very unintuitive for a human to do that same thing. Mm-hmm. You sort of feel it out and get there. Yeah. But how does it do that? What a what a great question. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the controller, in this case, the cruise control of your car, has measurements that it takes in. Um, mm-hmm. in, the, in the case of your car, it knows how fast the wheels are going, which it sort of mm-hmm. determines the speed of the car from. Yeah. Um, and for any given system, you've got probably lots of stuff you're measuring. Right? It could be the temperature of the chemicals you're mixing, or it could be um, any number of things. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's so much sure. you can measure. You, you, you're measuring yeah. stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've just got this stream of numbers coming in of your measurements, and the controller turns that into inputs that it gives back to the system. Um, okay, wait. I think I'm. I think I need a, a breakdown of that. So, it's you've got the measurements. So, like, how fast your wheels are turning, how whatever the pistons are doing. I don't know anything about cars, but so you got those measurements. But and then those measurements become inputs. Right. So right. they're gonna you, you you do some math essentially. The controller okay. does math. Um, okay. <laughs> some magic math. They just figures out the current kind of state of the yeah, let's, system. Mm, let's actually mm-hmm. simplify our system to be something less complicated than a car. Let's just imagine okay. a, a block sliding on the ground, right? Okay, cool. Um, let's say in this case, rather than maintaining at a constant speed, like you would for your car, your your goal is to stop at a spot. There's a spot you want the block to slide to. Okay. Um, and your input system is some force, right? Something pushing the side of the block. So mm-hmm. the the absolute simplest controller that you could possibly design is what we call a P controller. And the P stands for proportional. Okay. Um, a, a proportional controller would measure, you use the measurement of the distance between the block and the spot we're trying to get to. Uh, and and okay. that that distance between those two is what we call our air. Um, air, like A-I-R? E-R-R-E-R. Um, error. Oh, oh, okay. Um, and <laughs> it's a hard word to pronounce. Con- the controllers, all controllers, are trying to get air to zero. That's okay. All gotcha, controllers gotcha. have that as like their fundamental thought is like, we'll define some error and then we'll try to get rid of it. Um, <laughs> cool, cool. So like, I mean, taking it back to the car, like, your error would be like if you're at if your car is currently going 70 and you want it to go 65, your error would be like five. Yeah, that five. Yep, exactly. OK. Cool. Uh, and uh, you you make decisions based on your knowledge of the system that get you there. So in our example of the block, the uh, simplest controller, our P controller is is literally just a scalar, right? It's just a number that we multiply by. So. Mm-hmm. If our distance from where we are now to the spot we want to be is 10 meters, we multiply that by some number and we just get the force we want to exert on the block. Cool. So maybe 10 meters, 
I'm just going to make up some numbers. We multiply by five and we apply 50 newtons to the side of the block. And sure. as it gets closer, right, and that number just keeps going down the distance, uh, the force we apply lessens and lessens and lessens, right? Cool. And at some point, um, the block will reach, hopefully, the, <laughs> the spot we're trying to get it to. And presumably, mm -hmm. it has some amount of momentum that carries it past that. And now our air, you know, flips. It goes negative. Mm. And then the force you're applying to the block is reversed because cool. the number reversed. And so at, you would have smaller and smaller forces as the block just sort of oscillates and arrives at the spot you want, wanted to arrive at. Cool. That That's obviously assuming really low friction, but like... Mm -hmm. That would be how a P controller works. It's the simplest possible controller. You just multiply okay. by a number and you're there. So the yeah, so you're multiply so you're taking the input is the current measurement of like your error and then so the and then the output is kind of the force, mm -hmm. but no one no one has to do anything cuz the input is just the system like whatever it yeah. measures. C controllers are always autopilots. There's never a person involved in a controller. Mhm. Mm Cool. Um, and I think that I think that kind of makes sense. Yeah. That, so so the P controller, right, has some obvious issues. If you're really low friction, you're always gonna overshoot the target. Always. Um yeah. Yeah. and then you'll sort of oscillate around and eventually get there. Um mm -hmm. if you have really high friction, it is possible that uh friction is stronger than the force you exert before you get there. So maybe when you're like a meter away, the force of friction is stronger than right? so one meter away, you're applying five newtons of force using our previous, mm -hmm. previous example of five. And maybe five newtons of force can't overcome the friction. And yeah. so you stop one meter away under a P controller with high friction, right? You, you never get there. You just mm. keep applying five newtons of force and it keeps not being enough forever. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are better controllers that, you know, try to overcome these weaknesses. Cool. Um, is this what you were, because you were mentioned earlier, P and then PI. And PI. Is this the direction that that's yes, going? Yeah. Like, so are, those are like more complex. Th those are adding additional pieces of math, right? Okay. So, so P proportional is, is multiplication. You, you've got mm -hmm. your input, you multiply it by a number, you have an output. Mm -hmm. Proportional. Um, the I stands for integral. So a PI controller is doing two things. You've got the proportionality going on and you've got an integral going on. So, uh, and all of these are referring back to the error, right? So we're, okay. the input to the system, the force is proportional to the error. Mm -hmm. And now it's, we've, when we add the I component, the integral component, we're also integrating the error. So is that like calculus? It, it's actually, not related to calculus, except for like the very basic concept of an integral as adding stuff up, right? Okay. Um, yeah. So our, our P constant was five, right? Your I constant yeah. is probably going to be much smaller. It might be like a hundredth. Mm -hmm. um, and when we're 10 meters away, right, we add 10 to our integral, like just this internal summation we're keeping. And then we multiply it by our I constant 100th and we get a really small value. Um, and okay. so the input to the system is essentially no different than it was when we adjust the P controller. It, it doesn't okay. do anything yet. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and when you're far when you're far away it doesn't do anything when you're early when, when okay when the error is still big is that or is it just like the beginning of the it, when we're at the beginning process. when, when, okay. when gotcha. it hasn't been running for very long um, gotcha. it, in the example where friction is pretty low the integral never really adds up right the p controller just sort of gets us there it gets us pretty close right and once we're pretty close our errors are pretty small and the integral never really adds up to much and eventually okay. you arrive there and it just sort of stops mm -hmm. but in that second example where the friction was high and we never got there um the integral part of our controller has lots of time to just keep adding to its thing right it just keeps adding mm -hmm. and adding and adding and eventually <laughs> um in in this example at least the it will add up to some number such that even though we're multiplying by a hundredth, it, it starts contributing significant force. Mm -hmm. Um, and at some point it, the, that force keeps rising enough to overcome that friction problem we ran into and yeah. start moving again. And we get that. So it's, right? it's it, not going to get, it's not going to get stuck anymore. Yeah. It fixes the getting stuck problem. Mm -hmm. Um, at, at least in situations where our resistant force is constant, right? So, so in mm -hmm. other types of systems where it's not a block sliding, but it's something else completely going on, you might have a resistance force that's not constant that also is scaling linearly. Hmm. Right? And if your resistance force increases linearly, your integral thing will never catch up to it. It'll always be like trying its best. <laughs> um, gotcha. So in some situations, most situations, the integral component will overcome resistance based issues. Um, mm -hmm. but, but it's not perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's worth just noting. Re yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. Okay, what were you saying? I was just going to ask. So it's, I mean, it sounds to me like that, that integral part is kind of just how the controller is adjusting over time. It's doing its best to adjust based on kind of the input it's getting and the error that's there. Is that kind of accurate? Y yeah. So the proportional. Right. When we have force that's proportional to our error, it's just our general use. We're trying to get somewhere. The, yeah. the integrating the error of the system is attempting to fix long-term issues, right? Any sort mm -hmm. of big picture, long-term phenomenon that's going on, the integral is going to try to overcome whatever that is that's got going on. Okay. Um, but crucially, in both the P and the PI examples, uh, we still had some amount of oscillating at the very end, right? It's still yeah. sort of wiggling around the mm -hmm. target and it's not just arriving there smoothly the way you might want it to. Yeah. And fixing that is sort of the role of the D component, which you might guess stands for derivative. I, um, <laughs> I would not have guessed that, but a more educated person might guess that. <laughs> so uh, think about what it means to be taking the derivative of the error, right? So how fast is the error changing? If we've got okay. the block moving at pretty high speed towards our target, our derivatives going to be pretty high because the error is going down rapidly. But if our block's mm -hmm. moving really slowly, our derivative of our error is not going to be very significant at all. So what the derivatives sort of purpose in being included is to sort of make things smoother. So if we were flying in at very high speed towards our target, the derivative um, component is there to sort of be an, an opposing force, actually. Or at least mm -hmm. it contributes 
an opposing number in the calculation that might reduce our force. Gotcha. Um, and so that has the goal of preventing the oscillations, right? If, if you never overshoot it, then you never flip, right? To, to be a negative proportional number and yeah. you never have an oscillating phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very easy to imagine a world where your constant that you have set for your derivative component of your controller is poorly chosen. And it ends mm. up really ruining all of your other good stuff you have going on with your P and your PI. Um, yeah. So choosing those constants, right? Five for P, one one hundredth for I, and whatever we choose for D, it, it, it's important, right? You can't just mm-hmm. pick numbers willy-nilly. They need to sort of be working in concert with each other. Yeah. And, and picking those three numbers is what we call tuning the controller. So that okay. the final behavior of the block getting to its target is something reasonable looking and not completely ludicrous. Uh, yeah, just just like tuning a guitar. I know the word tuning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're choosing these three numbers so that they work together, right? Yeah. That, that's so that's the end thought. I'm, I'm imagining just like that process of choosing those numbers. Um, is it just kind of trial and error? Is there any methodology they use to like figure out what, the, or are they just trying, you know, plugging in some numbers, see how it works, adjust and, and try again? Trial and error can get you there in a nice, simple example like this one, right? Um, yeah. Y- you can do it. You can just arrive at some numbers that will work real nicely by testing it out a couple times and sort of be like, this is good enough. But there are absolutely lots and lots of um, tools out there to assist in tuning. Um, mm-hmm. specifically, there are some really nice ones built into Simulink. This is like Ooh, the cool. main feature of Simulink for, in terms of like industrial uses is that it has mm. amazing controller tuning software built in. Cool. Um, it's sort of like the industry standard of controller tuning. Um, <laughs> and you can get way, way into the weeds of desired behaviors of your system. And tuning much more complicated things, right? Where instead of having two states, right? In in this case, the states of our system are the speed of the block and um, the position of the block, right? Those are two numbers, which are obviously going to be related to each other, um, that we are measuring and using for other stuff, right? We measured the velocity for our derivative stuff. We measured the position for the proportional and the integral stuff. Yeah. So the states are like the properties of the system. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And our example only in two states, which is nice and easy. But there are, you know, eight state systems, which yeah. are hilariously complicated because all the states <laughs> interact with each other and, oh, no, what's yeah. happening, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the theory of how you tune more complicated controllers uh, can really quickly become really disgusting. <laughs> yeah. But at, at the end of the day, like for a PID controller... If I'm using those yep. words yep. right, you are. is is that is it always just like those three constants that you need to figure out, or are there other things that you need to like use to create that? So, so like, if you're using equation. a PID controller, then yeah, you've just got three constants. The uh, mm-hmm. um, usually denoted as KP, KI, and KD, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's when you're using different controllers that tuning them becomes 
a hassle or or even if you've just got multiple PID controllers for one system, right? If, you, For example, yeah. if you had something with eight states, you might have four PID controllers, right? Uh, assuming it made sense for your system. Um, sure. And so then you have to tune all of them with respect to each other, right? Because none of them is acting independently. And yeah. that's sort of where things can be gross. But at the end of the day, yeah, you've got for PID controllers, you've only got three numbers to be tuned. Yeah, it's so it, stuff like that is always so interesting to me because it's like there's obviously a lot going on there, but when you you know it's reduced down to just constants, it's it's wild. That, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's very surprising to be like, wait, we're just picking three numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the essence of this is just like picking three. But you know, obviously you have to put some work into picking those three numbers. You can't just draw them out of a hat. But mm-hmm. it's just funny that like that that's that's the goal picking three numbers in a very specific way to achieve a very you know important or specific purpose yeah um i don't i don't really have anything else to say regarding that but but pid controllers <laughs> are like the industry standard for everything that's not aerospace right and so mm-hmm. that's enough and and for most things you can get away with a pi controller you you don't even need to throw in the derivative component at all um mm-hmm. you can just leave it out Cool. So we obviously talked about cruise control and this example with the kind of block sliding across the floor. Are there any other uh, relevant examples that are exciting to you or um, that could be helpful for just to hear about? Oh, um. <laughs> I'm, if nothing pops to mind, that's that's all good. I think I, I think I kind of grasp it at this um... point. Imagine a glass furnace, right? Like some industry thing that's just shaping mm-hmm. a ton of glass. It sure. wants to heat up to a specific temperature. And for a whole host of reasons, it doesn't want to go over that temperature. Right. Sure. So you want to make sure you smoothly come up to your target temperature without overshooting it, mm. um, which means towards the very end, you need to have matched however much heat you're putting into your uh, furnace with how much heat is escaping your furnace, right? That mm-hmm. you want those to sort of be matching nicely. Um, mm. You might use a controller to make sure that the initial heating process is fast, right? You don't want to start at that final level of heat, or it'll take yeah. potentially like literal weeks to heat up this furnace. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't want to just be cranking the heat till at max right up until you reach your target temperature or you'll go over it and you know damage your equipment or whatever you've got going on yeah um, so that's th- really there are you know acoustic systems mechanical systems like the car there's thermal systems vibrational systems there's all kinds of systems but <laughs> the con- math behind what a controller is doing is the same for all of them right there's like a target you want to reach, there's air mm-hmm. between where you are and getting there, and the controller is trying to do math on that error to reduce it to zero. Yeah, that's super cool. I'm going to think about this all the time now in my daily life. I'm going to be like... Oh, absolutely. It's everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah, like, oh, my refrigerator is always at a specific temperature. I wonder how that happens. Right. Or yep. like different things like that. That's because like, yeah, daily life, there's error and there's adjustment for that that's really cool yeah all all kinds of things are measuring where they are they know where they want to be 
and they're they're trying to get there and you never really think about it happening <laughs> yeah yeah you just kind of accept like my car knows how fast i want to go it can spin the wheels but i mean because so, a lot of this stuff is like someone had to think really hard about this oh, absolutely. but now <laughs> but now no one really has to think that hard about like it, it's all known at this point so that's mm -hmm. stuff like that's always cool um, um I, you had asked about figuring out the three constants for the PID controller. And yeah. I was like, there are things out there that exist. I, I was trying to remember the name of a better known uh, example. And I found it. It's called the Zeigler-Nichols method. Um, Ooh. Z-I-E-G-L-E-R-N-I-C-H-O-L-S. Uh, <laughs> I, I assume that's named cool. after two people, Zeigler and Nichols. Um, yeah. And if you know proper just very generic properties of your system um it's like a a bit of math very easy math just like arithmetic um mm -hmm. to get initial guesses for your three constants um nice. and obviously you would like tweak them from there to make sure everything mm -hmm. was working correctly but they're, they're usually very good guesses they're usually close cool. to what you would have ended up on um mm -hmm. And, and it, like I said, it, it's very simple math. So if you, um, determine your system's ultimate gain, um, which is, you're an electrical engineer, you know what gain is. Um, I'm not an electrical engineer, but I do know, oh, okay. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, computer science is what my background was, um, and still is, but I do know that on that good old guitar amp that I'm playing, you got a little gain knob that you yeah. turn up. Is that related to that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you can determine the gain of your system. Um, so in our example, uh, gain would be, uh, I think, the mass of the block. Um, hmm. Right? So, or, or maybe the inverse of the mass of the block. But e so, either way, it, it's yeah. how much acceleration you get per force put in, right? Gain. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, Gotcha. The, um, if you know the gain of your system or the ultimate gain of your system specifically, then you can just multiply it by a couple quick numbers for the Zeigler Nichols method and it'll just mm. spit out some real good guesses for cool. PIND. Um, that's awesome. And it's surprising that it's that simple. <laughs> yeah. That's it's so, yeah, it's really like, I, again, someone had to, Zeigler and Nichols presumably had to figure out how that worked, but now everybody can just use it. Right. Yep. <laughs> that's cool all right well is there anything else you wanted to specifically mention about control theory oh geez um <laughs> <laughs> i was kind of expecting to talk about cruise control more um but is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of cruise control <laughs> so uh, the, the cruise controller for your car has a couple things going on beyond just a PID controller that mm -hmm. are interesting. They're, they're not terribly complicated, but they're interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I'm excited. The main one is that you can uh, determine your target uh, speed, right? Y yeah. You've got the little buttons on your yeah. steering wheel, and you can move the target speed up or down. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you do that, when you've got a controller that's actively running and all of a sudden the air just jumps, right? So say the target speed was 65 and we were going 66 and the air was one and it was nice and smooth. 
And all of a sudden, the target speed becomes 64, and the air just jumps to two in an instant. Mm -hmm. Your derivative component is going to skyrocket, right? Because it just went from one to two instantly. Yeah, it's like a, it's, yeah. Um, And this is not something you'd ever have thought about, right? Unless you knew how, what was going on behind the scenes to begin with. Mm -hmm. But that's really bad for your controller. That'll, like be like the car like suddenly completely stops accelerating or like floors it for like a quarter second or something like really weird. Um, sure. And of course that never happens to anyone because someone thought about this. Um, yeah. Oh, and... yeah. At some point in the process, someone right. figured out that you don't want to crash your car. Yes. Uh, and so what your car does um, when you fiddle with that uh, knob to change your target speed is it will uh smoothly ramp the error from the one value to the next um, ah, just ooh. on its own it'll know that a button press means i should do this smoothly and it'll just on its own sort of change the error um mm-hmm. really nicely so that your car doesn't do anything funky to you um yeah. and it's not something that would be intuitive right that that would be happening behind the scenes um, yeah but it makes a lot of sense and uh, so, so obviously that's not like part of a like fundamental PID controller, but like mm-hmm. it's it's still technically a part of the controller behavior. Uh, and, and so a lot of times control engineers might be using a control system with like well-established theory. And also they've like appended a, like two things to it specific mm-hmm. to the system to like make it yeah. be nice. Um, and so that's another odd part of the job. Yeah. So so there's that going on. (laughs) That's awesome. That's so yeah, it's so interesting to think about like a lot of times I think when I think about technology, I just think of it's just a black box. Like my car knows how to do this. I don't need to think about it. But I don't really, you know, I always think like, oh, it's some crazy and complicated math, but it's really cool to be able to understand how that works on a at least a surface level and understand kind of not the specific math behind the calculations or anything like that, but understanding the, at least at a basic level, like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I understand that it's not just magic. Like I, you know, you can grasp it. I I might need some of the math might be magic, but the actual concept is, is uh, kind of, you know, I'm kind of able to understand it, which is really cool. Um, You're very good at explaining this topic. I appreciate it. Yeah. I've talked about this a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, there's something else I was going to say about cruise control. I forgot what it was. <laughs> Mm-mm, cruise control. Tom Cruise control. I like that. Uh, that's, uh, that's the only thing that's coming to my mind. I don't think that's helpful, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Any- Shout out to engineers who design stuff. <laughs> oh, I remember what I was going to say. Yes, uh, yes, just good. this summer, I purchased a new car. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, a cord and it nice. has practical, the, uh, like lane. I, th- there's some long name for it so that it doesn't sound like it's going to prevent crashes, which could be something <laughs> they could get sued for. Um, yeah. but it's like the lane <laughs> exiting reduction, something or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Generally when you're on the highway and you're just staying in a lane and you turn the thing on, it'll keep you in the lane it'll sort of like steer for you a little um yeah. so it's not as far as like full-blown self-driving where it could like take an exit for you because it knew your destination but mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it, it'll stop you from drifting out of your lane, essentially. And mm-hmm. I have been thinking nonstop about what all <laughs> is going on behind the scenes. Because yeah. what the car has to go off of is uh, a camera and like a little like LiDAR ultrasound sensor in the front. It's, it's probably mm-hmm. not LiDAR. It's, it, I, there's definitely something ultrasound in there. I, I, mm-hmm. I guess. But um, sure. That's that's all of the information it has is like is um this camera that's getting footage of the lane lines and I I've just been thinking constantly about how much math is going on, you know, yeah. to determine yeah. these are lane lines. Cause not only does it have to think about where they are visually on the screen, but where they are will change widely depending on if like the road is curving up in front of me. You know, the lane lines mm-hmm. are going to be going somewhere completely different than if the road was yeah. coming down in front of me. But the car yeah. doesn't like worry about whether I'm curving up or down on the road. It just like stays in the lane. Yeah. Um, even though like visually where those lines are would be drastically different. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, this is well beyond my area of expertise, but like <laughs> me I'm too. Just thinking about <laughs> it all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of fun to think about things and try to figure out how they work. But like computer vision is wild to me that they yes. can even like figure out like, you know, they can map the slope. They can probably map the slope of a road and know that that's the, you know, different length of the lines and stuff can figure out like mm-hmm. all the, it's it's wild that they that someone. Well, I mean, and it's, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, obviously, of like <laughs> it's not the same person didn't figure out computer vision and then apply it to self-driving cars. It's, you know, there's a lot of steps mm-hmm. in between. But that's super cool. I I've. I believe that Tesla's at least will based on the current curvature of the road that they're driving on and like a loose, like just if you pulled off of like a map service, like the general hilliness of the area you're driving in, that they will yeah. like attempt to predict how much the road will be curving in the future before like it can see the curved part, you wow. know, around the next hill. Oh yeah. I didn't even consider that. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably data out there for like yeah. every single slope mm-hmm. of it's everywhere. It's just topography yeah. stuff. If you just like yeah. average out like, you know, in this county, it's, you know, the hilliness is three because it's mm-hmm. a little hilly or whatever. Then, you know, <laughs> the car can just take that number and be like, I can make some good guesses about what's going to be happening next. <laughs> yeah, that's so wild. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is is uh, amazing. <laughs> All right. Is there I know I've said, said this a couple of times. Is there anything else you want to discuss about control theory? We're getting about near the end of the hour here. I think that's all I got for you. That was very exciting to hear. Um, <laughs> I just have a, a few more things that I uh, wanted to wanted to do. First, I was going down a tiny bit of a Wikipedia rabbit hole um, on the control theory Wikipedia page. Um, James <laughs> Clerk. I went to James Clerk Maxwell's page. Um, which was oh, an interesting. Yeah. Yep. Same name. last name as me. Uh, <laughs> my dad claims that we're related to him in some way. I have no idea if that's true or not. But I found this interesting thing is that um, I'm literally going to read this off of Wikipedia. During an 1861 Royal Institution lecture on color theory, Maxwell presented the world's first demonstration of color photography uh, using the principle of three color analysis and th- synthesis, like the idea that you can take three colors, red, green, and blue, and combine them. So if you take three different pictures with three different filters on them, you can get a color photograph. 
1861. That's wild to me that it was that long ago. Um, And that was super cool. Um, So just a tiny little Wikipedia rabbit hole that I wanted to call that out because it has my last name attached to it. There you go. Maxwell's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, He seemed like a super cool guy. I'm pretty sure he actually has a unit named after him. The way like Newton and like Tesla have units named after them. I'm pretty sure there is a maxwell and it's like a unit of magnetism <laughs> that's wild there i know that there is i didn't read too deep into it but there is a wikipedia page solely of things named after james clerk maxwell there's so a lot. There's, there's, a lot yeah, there's, named after. there's definitely a lot um and i can claim it's all named after me which is fun um <laughs> then how uh, persuasive you'll be but he, he also has <laughs> no one yeah he also has uh, uh, a thought experiment called maxwell's demon which is something about law of thermodynamics that I don't understand. Um, but I thought that was a cool name for a thing. Um, and that's my Wikipedia rabbit hole. Um, so that was one of the other things I wanted to do. Other thing I wanted to do um, real quick off the top of your head. Are there any other, cause this podcast is called 10 out of 10. I should have said that at the beginning and I didn't. Um, this podcast is called 10 out of 10. Are there any other things in your life that are 10 out of 10? I know you like music. Are there any albums that come to your mind as like 10 out of 10 albums? Oh, The Earth is Not a Cold Dead Place by Explosions in the Sky. Ooh, That's oh, a 10 out of 10 oh. album. And I'm right there with you. Right there with you for sure. I love that album. Uh, I listen to the album every year on its anniversary uh, in November. Oh, that's cool. That's it's, awesome. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really big into that when I was in college back in the day. Very good album. Check that out. Um, and is there anything you want to promote right now um stream uh the beatles by flipcoin which is heck yeah uh named the second flipcoin album on spotify <laughs> if you need to search for it um not confusing at all <laughs> that's that's a that's a banger album yeah that go. and, go to, and, and go to space also go to space class. hell yeah yeah <laughs> Very good stuff. Well, Chad, thank you so much for joining me and enlightening me and making me think about a lot of stuff about the world. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Hey, no problem. Awesome. See you later.